welcome to the podcast for the Center for Ancient Christian Studies. Uh, my name is Coleman Ford, and I have, of course, my colleague here, Sean Wilhite. Uh, we're coming to you from the Evangelical Theological Society here in San Diego, uh, November 2014. And uh, it's a sunny day here in San Diego, just really enjoying the fellowship of scholars and uh, getting to hear papers and things like this. Uh, one scholar in particular that we have with us is uh, Dr. Edward Smither, who is the Associate Professor of Intercultural Studies at Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, thanks for being with us, Ed. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Thank you. Um, well, yeah. yeah, well, Dr. Smither, we'd love to know just kind of what is your journey within ancient Christian literature? Um, how did you get into this, this field? Uh, maybe key authors, key thinkers, key books, maybe you can elaborate on that. Sure, sure. Well, for me, uh, probably it started, um, I, I was serving the Lord in North Africa as a short-term missionary um, right out of college. And so I spent a couple of years in North Africa. And, and, and as I was just trying to understand where I was serving and living, you know, historical and cultural backgrounds are key. And and uh, before I knew it, names like Augustine and Tertullian and Cyprian started popping up. And so uh, this was even before I ever went to seminary. And so I think I read Confessions or I, I just kind of wanted to understand a little bit better of where I was living. Uh, when I did go to seminary, I was able to do some reading, independent reading seminars with a church history professor on Augustine and, and early African Christianity. And uh, then we ended up moving back to North Africa, and uh, I was teaching at the College of Humanities at a university there, and was starting PhD work. And uh, when it came down to uh, what I would do for my thesis in, at the University of Wales, um, I was really interested in, in looking at early African Christianity, and uh, so I was able to work alongside uh, someone with specialty in that area. and. Uh, Ended up focusing my dissertation on Augustine and the, the the formation of spiritual leaders in the early church. So so it was kind of I lived close to Car- place like places like Carthage and mm. and was just a few hours away from uh, Hippo or what's now Anaba, Algeria. Mm. So um, so that's kind of how it started. Mm. So you were literally living in the place that you were studying and looking back, you know. 1,500 years, and yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Yeah, that's it great. was fun. Um, one of the places I got to go to a good bit was the, the Cyprian Memorial Church, and mm-hmm. that's, that was, uh, it's believed, and it, there's pretty good evidence that that's, that's probably where Cyprian, you know, after his martyrdom was buried, and they built a small chapel there. They renovated it. If we read Confessions, Book 5, that's where Augustine left Monica and took off to Italy without her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later, we know of at least three sermons that he mm. preached in that church when he was the Bishop of Hippo. And it's, it's I don't know if we have evidence for it, but it's alleged by some that even uh, some of the councils of Carthage took place mm. in that basilica. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, just being able to connect uh, landmarks and history and, and the writings and the texts. I mean, oh, yeah. it brings it to life. That's amazing. Um, you know, so you did mention, uh, you know, this kind of entry point of missions and thinking about that as far as your doctoral studies go. Uh, and, and something that we like to do as part of the podcast is help encourage those who are listening to think about, um, you know, if they're thinking about graduate studies, maybe looking towards PhD. Uh, you know, just I think a helpful question is, you know, if you were to sit down with someone who's looking at a patristic studies future, uh, what are some things that you would tell them to look out for, to think about, um, questions that they should be asking? 
uh, things like this? Uh, well, I think first of all, if they're interested in patristic studies, that's 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 a good sign. Um, I think uh, j just a general admonition is to find an area of study that you that you enjoy. Uh, graduate work is rigorous. Even even doing something you love, it's arduous. It's it's you know there's a it's pretty high casualty rate in graduate school of people who don't, especially writing the dissertation. But I think that if you um, if you have a, a curiosity and a passion, and for me, it's just you know our faith is a is a historic faith, and um, I see the I see the fathers of the church as conversation partners and big brothers in the faith, big sisters in the faith who can um, be guides for us, and so just to try to get into their world. But I, I think yeah, I, I, and then I, I think I would I would look around to try to find the best trained uh, professors to guide you through that, um, who are in the trenches, who are continuing to study themselves, continuing to do research. Um, um, and definitely, if you're married, talk to your wife about and count the costs. Oh, sure. Yeah. And um, I had a couple of kids born while I was working on PhD studies and and, um, and and just having the wisdom to know when to close your books and mm. take some time off and mm. just go play with your kids. That's it. That's great. That's wonderful. Well, thanks for that insight. And again, yeah, as part of this is that we want to encourage students who are thinking about this. Uh, and there's multiple paths. There's multiple entry points. And um, uh, but I appreciate that uh, kind of right. personal perspective, almost pastoral <laughs> perspective and uh, counting the costs and things like this. Um, so just another quick question. Uh, you know, what was your experience like working with your mentor professor in your doctoral studies? How did uh, that person shape you? Uh, what are some things that you took away from that? Maybe some memories even, uh, sure. anecdotes, things like that. Well, I, I guess like a lot of people, I thought that he hated me at first because there, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't write anything that made him happy. And, um, and you know, my, my professor, Tom O'Loughlin, who's, who's Irish, very kind. He would come to his office. He would make me coffee and sit down. But, but I know that the first, the first chapter of my dissertation, I think, I think went through seven oh, wow. rewrites. And a couple of those were balled up, throw in the trash can and start all over again. And I honestly didn't think I was going to get through the first year. And, mm. and I thought he kind of hated me. And, um, but then one day, you know, he, he was pleased mm. and he said, it's time to move on. Mm. And, and then he said to me, uh, and by the way, it's going to get a lot easier from here. Mm. Oh, wow. And so part of it is, I think it's just coming from like a master's level of work to, you know, you're going from triple A baseball up to the pros where they're pitching 95 miles an hour and, and you have to get in shape for that and ready for that. Um, but I had, I had a, uh, a, a leading, a guiding professor who was, um, very, very rigorous, but also very kind, mm. um, and who, so, so it just became very, ultimately became very motivating, mm. and so the more challenges, when, when I knew that he was, he was on my side, mm. he wasn't out to end my academic career, sure. he, but he was wanting to, to really train me in that, and so, uh, so definitely appreciated that. Yeah, that's great, yeah, and that's he, great. And he's, when I think about how I work with students now, working on masters and even doctoral theses, that's it's 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 pretty rigorous like that, but but also encouraging. Good. 
good. Yeah, that's good. that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, uh, with Dr. Haken or Michael Michael Haken, he's been just a wonderful mentor to us, just shaping us as individuals, shaping us as thinkers, and uh, just shaping us even in our virtue. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's sure. it's good to hear that uh, Thomas O'Laughlin was with you. He he, he wrote a. Just a helpful introductory Didache book. Right, right. Just to kind of give a set of context for him. But maybe looking back on your time, what was one or two things that Dr. O'Loughlin kind of rubbed off on you in, in helpful ways, either through mimicking him or, or affecting your virtue or affecting your thinking? What, you know, what are, what are uh, just a couple items that, that you kind of look back upon and say these were, these were helpful memories or helpful times of growth? Right. Um, well, one thing I, I learned from him, the first time I was going to meet him, I, I, I hadn't met him before. I'd been assigned to him. And so I actually went down to the bookstore and bought a book that he had written and spent the morning reading it. And I was a little bit surprised because I thought, this is very readable. Hmm. This is very personable. And one thing that I learned from him is that good scholarship doesn't have to be obscure, bad writing. And... Um, he communicated well, um, so so I think that that was one of the first things is that scholarship can be accessible. Um, well, I yeah, I, I would just go back to saying that there that um, he was kind, and even um, when I when I would present, let's say, an article or something to him, and I would go through it, and he would say something like, "I absolutely disagree." But well-researched, well done, let's move on. Hmm. So he was able to let, you know, even conclusions that were counter to his if they were well-argued. And, and so, and I was an evangelical, and, and actually he's Roman Catholic, and so obviously there are some, some pretty, diff, pretty significant presuppositions that we brought into our relationship, but, uh, but it was great. And I, you know, I just, I just felt that if I did the hard work of scholarship, and, and if I could make a good argument, that... Hmm. Um, that he, uh, uh, you know, he would be happy with it. Mm. Mm. That's helpful. Yeah, and so, again, just, yeah, um, we'd love to just hear those kind of stories. And uh, as we continue to help promote some of these ideas and think about um, not just the ideas, but the people that help right. um, push them and think through right. them and things like this. And theology is done in community. Yeah, sure. The, the writings in community. Yes. Virtue is shaped in community. Yeah, right. yeah. And I think that's that's one of our the main facets that we like to see and, and it's good to hear that uh, that that's happened with you and some things that have rubbed off on you um, you know just thinking about uh, your own project with your writing your dissertation um, and looking at Augustine as the trainer of spiritual mentor a spiritual mentoring training things like this um, your publication on B&H mm-hmm. uh, over the past uh, maybe three or four years ago uh, of that topic Augustine as mentor you know, what really drove you to that, and, and what was the purpose of that text ultimately, uh, and what were you hoping to um, kind of come away with that, having sure. written it? Sure. Okay. <laughs> See you, man. Have a good look. Paper. That's a good question. Um, for me, you know, at the beginning of doctoral studies and in mine, I had to propose, a, you know, a topic to get approved. Mm-hmm. And so I was just reading the Augustan Corpus. Mm-hmm. Um, and some secondary sources, and and obviously you're looking for an original contribution to scholarship, mm-hmm. and and the more I read Augustine, I thought he's mentoring church leaders. Mm-hmm. The letters, uh, you know, 
in the monastery. There's so many different areas. And, and I just started to read, and except for the exception of someone like Agostino Trape, who was an Italian mm. um, scholar, uh, and uh, André Mondouz, who's a French scholar, I didn't find much in English on the pastoral theology or ministry of Augustine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I just thought that, I, just reading, reading the sources directly, I, um, I thought this is something that needs to be explored. And, um, but also, too, I think uh, maybe it's just my own uh, background in mission as well and pastoral ministry is that I really wanted it to be useful for the church. Mm-hmm. And so, so the Augustine as Mentor book was originally my dissertation. And in pure dissertation, monograph form, you know, it has its place. But I, mm-hmm. I work, worked for better part of a year to, uh, to edit that into something that would be more accessible, mm-hmm. that a pastor could read, that, mm-hmm. um, because, I, again, I think that there are, um, you know, there's just some really good principles of, of community, of a concern for sound doctrine mm-hmm. that, that we need to observe. And so really I was just, my, my goal was really to be a tour guide for today's pastors and how, how mentoring and spiritual leadership happen, especially in a, in a, you know, North America is a very individualistic culture in many ways. Mm-hmm. Many pastors don't feel safe to, to share their struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have anyone to, to talk to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even just, you know, one of the principles uh, that in Augustine, in, in early monasticism, of, of a disciple seeking out a mentor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we, we think today of, I want to challenge this guy to be discipled, and I'm going to... But the initiative actually, in many cases, came from the disciple. Mm. And, um, and so I wonder if a new pastor moving in, you know, coming in here to, to San Diego or moving to Louisville, mm-hmm. before he unpacked his boxes, would, you know... Uh, would look up and find an older pastor that he would say, hey, I, I'm new to this. Can mm. you can you mentor me? Mm. Um, Augustine gives a good guide for, mm. for that and how, how a, uh, a spiritual leader can, a shepherd can shepherd other shepherds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, and you bring out a good point with just your whole project is that uh, when you think about patristic studies, and especially if, if someone's looking at it from a purely academic standpoint, it's so easy to lose the pastoral perspective of these of these individuals, I mean, uh, you know, the majority of them were pastors. You know, very few, if any, were really writing in isolation right. from you know just you know ivory tower type theology, right. which is kind Absolutely. of the picture it gets painted. And you think of individuals like uh, Gregory Nazianzus and um, even Ambrose and uh, you know uh, Gregory the Great with his pastoral rule. All these great theologians, great thinkers, um, the uh, kind of the nexus of their thought was a pastoral, you know, thrust. And so, uh, you know, steeped in scriptures and things like that. And I think that's a helpful, and I appreciate you saying that, uh, Dr. Smither, just that um, encouragement to think about the fathers in this way and uh, another facet of the center that we're trying to promote. And so I appreciate that. Um, You know, so just to shift gears just a little bit, um, would love to get your feedback on what, so you've been in scholarship for a while, been teaching for a while, writing and interacting um, at the academic level. What are some areas that you feel like within evangelical scholarship and maybe even broader just patristic scholarship um, that are still areas of weakness, maybe areas that um, evangelicals can fill uh, from from our perspective? Um, 
you know, what are just some things that you've noticed, some trends that you notice, and, and maybe some areas that uh, uh, still need some significant work? Sure. Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, on a personal level, one of uh, my, my angle, because I do teach intercultural studies and mission studies and historical studies, um, is uh, many days I feel quite alone. Um, you know, one, one of my heroes is Andrew Walls, who was a, who was a historian of, he, he was actually trained in patristics at Oxford and then went to the mission field and is, has been a historian and theologian of global Christianity. Uh, there aren't many in the missiology world that are thinking historically, mm-hmm. and there aren't that many in general, the general patristic world that are thinking missionally. Mm-hmm. And so uh, part of it's my own personal passion, but I think as we seek to understand what is Christian mission today, uh, there's just so much, to, so much work to be done in understanding the mission in the early church. Mm-hmm. And so that was a project I worked on for the last few years, and a book was published um, um, on, with that title. Um, I'm actually working, doing research right now on uh, missionary monks and monasticism. So if we really, if we look at the expansion of the church really after the time from about the 5th century onward toward the Reformation, and we ask who, who are the key, who's leading the way in terms of Christian mission in the world, they were monks. And we saw missionary monastic orders developed. And so as an evangelical, I think there's it's, it's very underappreciated. We need to bring that out of the storehouse and put it on display, um, but also to learn from their issues. And obviously, this past is a foreign country. We need to go there, and we need to explore and understand it on its own terms, and then ask ourselves, what you know, what can we, how can that shape our memory better as we seek to be God's people today? Um, so those, those are some personal things. Um, I always want to put a plug in, you know, most, uh, a lot of patristic studies are, you know, done in, uh, the sources are Greek and Latin sources. Um, I was just uh, today on a panel with a guy doing, who's done very good work in Syriac studies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, and, and so I appreciate, you know, um, you know, someone like a Philip Jenkins and Lost Histories of Christianity mm-hmm. helping to bring to our mind um, the contribution of Eastern Christianity mm-hmm. and, um, and really how much how much farther the gospel went east than it ever went west. Mm-hmm. Um, China was a lot farther away than Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, you know, fifth century, sixth century, we were seeing the gospel going very far east. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's a lot to be done in understanding the, the life of the church, the theology of the church, mm-hmm. uh, the mission of the church, mm-hmm. uh, east of Antioch. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And I appreciate that perspective. And uh, again, thinking... Um, from an evangelical perspective, obviously, uh, some things that have historically been a core facet is, you know, again, is, is evangelism and missions and things like this, and being able to blend those two, and, and I think ultimately giving uh, potential future scholars encouragement in that is that you don't have to divorce Great Commission ideals uh, from dedicated, high-level patristic studies, you know, uh, and I think as Christians um, that those things should go together, and I appreciate that perspective. Uh, yeah, so just to wrap things up again, you know, appreciate uh, your perspective here, your voice in this whole conversation. Um, you know, would just love to get just kind of a final uh, understanding of uh, some some future projects you had. You mentioned it, uh, some things that are forward that we can look forward to, and um, 
you know, maybe any other works that you recommend, some of uh, fellow scholars or other scholars, maybe from different confessions, things like this, that you could sure. recommend to our listeners sure. to check it out? Sure. Well, uh, I'm going to be pretty occupied with missionary monks mm-hmm. for probably the next couple of years. And I'm, um, and honestly, for me, um, my most of my research grows out of partly what, what, what makes me curious, mm-hmm. but also the needs of my students as mm-hmm. I teach, mm-hmm. especially the history of mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's number one in, in terms of my burdens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so that's something, um, uh, working on. I, I do, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to be writing a short chapter on, uh, on Augustine's preaching in mm-hmm. the, in the history, in a volume on the history of preaching, mm-hmm. which I'm excited about that mainly because the people, that's going to be a homiletics text. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I think, um, we just need to, uh, increase the capacity of our evangelical memory mm-hmm. of the church. And, um, and, and I think that, um, it ultimately will, uh, just increase our praise and our worship for mm-hmm. what God has done and mm-hmm. humble us because, it's not all new and improved, and uh, as we'd like to believe sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the other question? Uh, maybe just any text that you recommend. Oh, text, yeah, yeah sure. just colleagues sure. or other folks that you keep an eye out for. Yeah, well, I was, you know, the nice thing about coming to the Evangelical Theological Society is, mm-hmm. um, honestly, when I come here, the first thing I think about are the books. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm very I'm excited to get my hands on... Um, Andrew Louth's, uh, not Andrew Louth, um, well, it's called Ancient Christian Worship, and he's the dean at Yale. Yeah, and Andrew, um, Mick, oh, I forgot now, McGowan, no. Yeah, yeah, McGowan, yeah, McGowan, yeah, that's it. McGowan, and so I'm, I'm, um, you know, he's, he's a top-rate scholar, and so I'm just kind of salivating for the chance to break into that. Um, one thing I, I like is uh, Taber- William Tabernay's book. Um, mm. Again, you're going to have to help me on the title. I'm, I'm Early Christianity in Context, I think. Is that is that the one you're thinking yeah. of, or is there another one? You no, know, that's it. And okay. it, it's a nice source, and, and it's edited. And so, like, in the North African region, you have a great scholar like Jane Meridinger, mm. who has edited that part. Mm. But I think just like we do biblical studies, uh, context is so important. Mm. And I think we can misread patristic texts and and fail to see the bigger picture, um, even of the the mission of of God in the Mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so context gives us some living color uh, there. So I I appreciate what Taberny has done and and helping to incorporate, you know, um, advancements in archaeology. So I'm... uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to. I've, I've gotten gotten a hold of both of those, and, mm-hmm. and, and looking forward to reading uh, mm-hmm. reading both of those. I would also um, Baker has a nice series. Uh, uh, Stephen Hildebrand wrote a book on Basil of Caesarea that came mm-hmm. out last year on this series, and yeah. I highly recommend uh, that. And there's there's a, uh, another work in that series on Vincent the Loran and mm-hmm. Athanasius. Mm-hmm. Uh, more. Um, uh, they're more theological works, which which is really really good. Um, so uh, yeah, those are those are some things on my um, Christmas reading list. Wonderful, yeah. And you've come here to uh, hopefully uh, pick those up and <laughs> fulfill that. So that's great. Well, hey, uh, again, Dr. Smith, thank you for joining us here and taking some time out of your ETS schedule. And um, you know, as always, we look forward to the things that are going to be coming out from you and just um, the scholarly activity that you have and uh, look forward to uh, interacting with you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. So again, this is the Center for Ancient Christian Studies podcast. 
Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.